We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to Talking Yang, week two of the NFL season. Jeff Erickson, Chris Liss here. This uh, podcast is sponsored by Fanball. Uh, we thank you for your sponsorship. Go play their DFS game. Week two, less crappy than week one. Um, although it's funny, I w- did the rewatch of the KC Pittsburgh game. Oh my goodness, there were a lot of flags. There was a lot of like, you know, not just flags that were you know enforced, but also ones that were just turned down because they already got the benefit of the play. That, that was it. Was just that game was just ground into the muck. Yeah, you know, I, I, when you watch everything on red zone, and then I, I obviously watch the standalone games all on rewind. I have a very skewed perspective on what happens sometimes. And I don't rewatch. I mean, I could go back and rewatch some, but I end up just not doing it. I just feel like I'll read about it. I'll see clips. I'll try to find out, like, if there's some controversial flag, like the Clay Matthews thing. Like, I checked out that clip, and it was obviously ridiculous. Um, and now the NFL is trying to use it as a, t- a teachable moment for the rest of the league. No, so stupid. So, so stupid. So, so I, you know, I'll, I'll do that. But I, you know what? I just can't man you know i don't know i can't do it well circumstances dictated to me that i had to miss a few uh, a few moments of the early games and missed a lot actually so i'm going back on the rewatch of all the early games and i actually oh, kind of enjoy you, doing by it all means. and i actually sure. kind of enjoy doing it cuz i do find some certain things that i think are learnable actionable you know every once in a while you get a nugget out of it there it helps me with my rankings at the very least uh which i need uh 
but yeah, you know the 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 Chargers. I keep wanting to say Clippers because I keep seeing LAC and like that's Clippers. No, it's the yeah, Chargers. I think that too. Uh, but they the had the difference. The difference is the Clippers actually have fans. Yeah, <laughs> there was a horrific, uh, you know, teachable moment there. Um, just a, another, just a dumb, dumb, dumb call. Yeah, you could say it was a dumb penalty too, and you're you're right. It was, but it was like taunting. It's like. These are grown adults. Let them taunt a little. Oh, I saw the taunting one. And and I I have this thing, and I talked about it briefly on XM, is that taunting, unsportsmanlike conduct, any of that shit that's like bad behavior that does not affect the play. So obviously holding must be penalized on the field because that actually affects what would have happened had you not held. And obviously pass interference needs to be penalized on the field. Anything that affects plays, it makes perfect sense for the penalties to be assessed on the field and to affect the game because you're basically affecting the game yourself and the penalty is just trying to right a wrong. It's actually not trying to interfere with the game so much. And we can, you know, debate the interpretation of that and, and whether that actually is what's going on. But anything like taunting or unsportsmanlike conduct or anything that's like bad behavior that has no effect on the field, it's absurd that it actually affects the result on the field. Right. So you're basically saying this guy taunted another player. He like, you know, made a motion on him or he mocked him or something. And so now we're going to maybe change the outcome of the game, even though what he said obviously had no effect on the play. That's just so dumb. There's many ways to disincentivize players from being rude. I wouldn't even bother. I wouldn't really care. But assuming that's a goal that you find important, Find them, suspend them. I, I suggested electric shock them. Whatever you have to do, but do not make it a 15-yard penalty. Oh, you get you get a stop on defense, and there's one possession left in the game for the offense to maybe come back and tie or win the game, and it got taunted, and so now the game's over. Really? You you want to have it? How be dare you have an emotion? How much tolerance a ref has for the particular amount of taunting because there's there's smack talk all the time. So yeah, what rises rises to the level of a taunt, and what's just you know acceptable smack talk? You're going to have some ref decide a game based on that. I mean, that is just it's absurd. Yeah, and then the play that I saw on the Chargers game, the Chargers defender, like it was a three and out. The player was kind of retreating the sideline. He wait like he said bye bye or something like waved him off. I'm sure he said something a little bit more than bye bye, but. Uh, Point is, it wasn't in his face. It wasn't obscene. It was none of that. And oh, flag! Maybe what he said was, and that's the thing we didn't. I didn't have that mic'd up, and I was doing the condensed version. There's no way I was going to watch the extended version of that. <laughs> um, if you were serious about this job, you'd be watching the extended version yes. and the commercials and the commercials. The full <laughs> Gee, experience. Man. You can't know what it's like to watch a game. I'm going to DVR all 16 games. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yes, and I'm going to have 48 hours of my day, right uh, of my life, not even of my day. That's three, and, you know, basically covering up three days. Then I'll start my rankings. Yeah, I got to have all of that soaked in before I start real, doing my. Real rankings. man would do that. Yeah, sure. rankings don't come up till Thursday. Sorry, folks, uh, but no, it, it was it was egregious. It was just such a dumb, dumb call, and it just. You know, it's a it's a throwaway game from a stupid game. Anyhow, the Chargers should have won by a lot more. Uh, they they had some stuff wiped out. They had uh, although they also had like a fumble review, a couple of fumble reviews in their favor. Tyrell Williams put one on the ground. Uh, they had to review to see who recovered. They said it was the Chargers. Later on, there was another fumble that they they, they looked like they coughed up. It was ruled not a fumble. So I mean, there's some things that could have gone both ways. I annoyed in this game too, but like Chris Ivory vultures away the touchdown away from McCoy. I mean, you got to be annoyed if you're a McCoy owner because I mean, and you think, think about if you think about if you drafted McCoy, right? Like so yeah. you have McCoy. Turns out he could go to jail at any moment for being a a criminal. Any moment he could go to jail. 
okay, fine, I'll live with that risk. Now you know he's on a bad team, but the team's worse than you thought. And he gets a basic like a zero the first week because the team is so bad offensively. Then finally you get like a spark of life and they get to the goal line and they give it to somebody else. I mean, that is really, it's just too much to bear as the McCoy owner. I mean, obviously if you drafted him after the criminal stuff, then you, you bought, you, know, you got him at a discount. But if you got him before that, holy crap, man, that just insult to injury that touchdown. Yeah. And then he gets, and then the injury happens after that when a lineman falls on him. Falls on his yeah, ribs. And then he gets hurt. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that was brutal, too. Oh, brutal, brutal, brutal. Josh Allen looked okay. Um, you know, he, they're designing some runs for him. That's going to let him get broken pretty soon. But, uh, you know, he looked good. Um, he threw a bad pick when he was in the grasp. Should have just taken the sack. Uh, on the TD pass late, it was a throwaway TD, basically. But to Kelvin Benjamin, he threw, had some really nice arm strength on that one. Snuck it in a tight window. Of course, Benjamin kind of got lit up to catch it. But still, got it in there. It was not dissimilar to the uh, Mike Williams touchdown to start the game, though, where he squeezed in between two defenders. Uh, just add 20 miles an hour to velocity to the throw versus Phillip Rivers' throw. But, uh, you know, I, there were some things you could take away. I mean, the receiving core in Buffalo stinks. We all know that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still going to be a special bad year. Casey Pittsburgh, oh, my God, so many flags, so many flags. You know, Casey could have won by a lot more. They had a defensive touchdown taken back. Uh, they right. had, I saw that. I saw that. They had an INT in Pittsburgh's end zone uh, wiped out by a PI, which was a good call uh, against Antonio Brown. Brown had his tantrum on the sidelines after that because he wasn't in the game on a goal-to-go formation. Uh, Connor got the touchdown on the second of those two plays. I think he's just mad he wasn't in there. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about him blowing up on the side. I mean, Tom Brady's cursing people out all the time. I mean, once you're a superstar, you know that kind of stuff is just heat of the moment. I don't, I don't, you know, doesn't doesn't worry me. It is kind of crazy. Some people are speculating that he's hurt. Brown got 17 targets, nine catches for 63 or something really modest. Whereas Juju got 19 targets and had another big game. Ben is, was over him though. I mean, I, the thing is so. St- Early, like early in the game, Ben overthrew him three times, like wide open too. Uh, another time, you know, he had an 18-yard reception that was wiped out due to a penalty. This was in the fourth quarter. This was the cowardly punt series uh, where it was third and twenty. You got an 18-yard gain to get it to fourth and two. Nope, no, some a five-year penalty, some sort of like block in the back or whatever. They get an 18-yard play, uh, pass play to Connor to get to fourth and seven. Nine and a half minutes left. You're against a team that scored 42 points against you already. And you're on your own 43. Yeah, let's go. Let's go ahead and punt. Um, they didn't get the ball back till four minutes left. Yeah, it was over by the time they got it back. And, and they were lucky so to get it stupid. back. It was a fumble by Chris Conley on that, too. It could have gone all the way down. Yeah, they could have run the whole clock and scored a touchdown. I mean, it's just just don't give the ball back. I mean, it's interesting. You know, scoring was down last year and especially early in the year. And that trend is totally reversed the first two weeks. Yeah, it's fine. Which means the higher the scoring, in other words, in the 70s, games are really low scoring. There's a lot of running plays. It actually made sense to punt on fourth and two at midfield because your offense would probably fail. And even if it you know, might have succeeded, you punt it back to them and their, their offense is probably going to fail and you'll get the ball back probably where you punted from you know, four downs later. But in this high-flying era where teams are putting up a lot of points and a lot of yards and just big plays all the time, every time they punt, and the Giants did it twice early, Dallas was at midfield. Dallas was right where they punted from like three plays later. And yeah. you're like, dude, they're here already. Like this, this is what you were worried about. Now they're here. Like 
there's just no reason to punt. Just go for it. And they finally did. One other thing about Eli that I forgot to rant about on the show um, is is not only did he take these, you know, as I said, he had five, six sacks for 59 yards. He was taking 10 yards a sack, which no non-run quarterback ever does. He was turning into the defender at the worst possible time. But the other thing was, he's for some reason, everybody's able to throw the ball away. You know, Aaron Rodgers throws away everything. Tom Brady's always throwing it away outside the hash. They just barely get it. It looks like grounding, but nope. They know the rule. They know exactly what to do when under pressure. Why couldn't Eli throw any of those balls away? I mean, it's just throw the ball away. He took the sack every time and he took a deeper sack than he should have, but never did he escape for a second and throw it away. He just is so incredibly useless in the face of a pass rush. It was, it, I was, that was the other thing I was, I was like, why can't you just throw it away? Like I've never seen him actually escape and, you know, do one of those sort of intention, not intentional grounding, intentional groundings that everybody gets away with. Yeah, it's uh, a good question. Uh, just not very mobile, and uh, which is funny because he had two QB sneaks for first down. He did right. it one time, like, oh, this is fun. It was his first time th- since 2014, they were saying on the broadcast. So but then he get, did it again the next, like, on the same drive, and they still ended up punting. But, you know, let, let's. Well, they got that one, though. Yeah, they got yeah. that one, and they still punted because they were so bad. All right. God, what a. That was just really eye-opening how bad they were. I, I know Dallas has a good front seven. They had Jackson. They looked better against Jacksonville, believe it or not. Yeah, it, and it, it, was, it was strange to see just how good Dallas looked on defense. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, did uh, Dallas just know the film well and knew how to, knew how to exploit it? Or know. you know, is there just a they systemic did, problem did, with the Giants and their pass they, protection? I mean, it is that. But And, and Eli with a bad line is just, it's just death. But one thing that... Um, yeah, I mean, Dallas does have a good front seven, and one thing they did smart, although it was the only thing they did all game, was that bomb to Tavon Austin to start the game. Yeah. That was like that was really smart because, A, they need to be doing that. B, nobody would ever suspect that Dallas would do that, so like it just totally caught him by surprise. He beat Janoris Jenkins, their best cover corner. When they did it on play action, which they never call. Right, so play action, which they never call, a deep throw, which they never do, to a player they never target and wasn't even on the team last year, and it beat the Giants' best corner easy long touchdown and that you know is, is how dallas is much better at playing you know get a lead rush the quarterback hand the ball off and literally i think Dak had like 160 yards passing and that was 61 of them on that play so he did nothing the rest of the game nobody did anything zeke you know did fine he had like 75 yards and a touchdown and he had five catches for like nine yards but the, you know that was really what set the tone that and and the giants just just you know, not pass protecting and Eli just making nothing, doing nothing with it. I re- I just I really wish like Shermer and Gettleman had the courage just next week to be like, you know what, it's it's over for him, and we're moving on to Kyle Laletta. I mean, it would probably be a disaster, but I'd like to just see. I'd like to just see someone else try. You know, it, it, the way it's got to happen, it's got to be a coach with a little bit more rope, and Shermer definitely has that over McAdoo. So. Obviously, I mean, McAdoo got fired over that, which is just ridiculous that that's the. Well, he was going to get fired anyway. He just got fired mid season over that. But right, right. That was, was the final it, straw, though. I was like, oh, we can't for him, have that. Though. Can't do that At to least Eli. Nobody can take that away from Eli. McAdoo. You could be like, you know what, McAdoo, you are a horrible coach. You are a joke. You, you look like a tool. Nobody likes you. And you could say, yeah, but you know what, though? I'm the one who busted up Eli's streak when none of you would do it. And he was a scrub for a long time. And I was the only one willing to do it. He's got that. No one can take that away from him. Yeah. 
Uh, so there, there's that. I was I'd struck like by, the trade off. Yeah, I was struck by uh, KC uh, and how well they they spread the ball this game. They, I mean, everything they dialed up worked. Pittsburgh couldn't cover Kelsey. They couldn't cover Watkins. You know, I think if you're a Tyreek Hill owner, you're like, where is Tyreek Hill? Well, I mean, they they obviously the Steelers are shifting their coverage to shut him down because they saw what Hill did in Week One. So okay, we'll burn you this way. Uh, and then Hill had like three big plays in the second half. Hunt was running the ball well early. I know he got tackled for that safety. Uh, by the way, that 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 gratuitous awful punt by Tomlin might have been encouraged a little bit because of the previous sequence where they got it down to it at the one or something like that and got the safety. You're like, well, we pinned him deep last time. You know, okay, well let's trust our defense that's given up 42 points and scored us two. Okay, sure. Uh, ben threw 35 times in the first half. They get, they get. It was a lot like that early Jacksonville game last year, where they just gave up the run way early. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's a weird thing. I, I think they'll they'll come around it. There's too much talent on offense, and I think, I think they'll be all right. It's interesting though. You know, the Bengals have a real chance to win, to win that division right now. It's not a bad start. It's definitely not a bad start. Uh, they, they they're two and zero. Ravens are one and one. The other two teams are zero one and one. So yeah, I like it. I like the Steelers getting off to a bad start. I, I thought the Steelers were going to be really good this year. So I like seeing them struggle. Now they're facing the red hot Bucks in Tampa, and hot might be wow, the operative order. What a, what a order start! Too. The Bucks played the Saints on the road. They get the Eagles at home. Are they in Pittsburgh? The the Bucks game? I think no. I think it's in Tampa. But I in need Tampa? to check on that. But um, what what a schedule to start the season. I yeah. mean, you look at the Saints, Eagles, and Steelers. If they go three and zero, that would be the sickest. That's like absurd. Those are three of the Super Bowl favorites there. I know, I know, and no, no one, no one really was like without their starting they, quarterback. Yeah, it's crazy. So looking at, I'm pulling up the week three schedule because don't, I, don't tell me the lines. Cause tomorrow I'm going to uh, guess the lines and, and do this. Like I did the last two weeks. Don't tell me the never lines. Never tell yet. me the odds. All right. You got it. Um, I will not say a thing to you. It is the Monday night matchup in Tampa. Five fifteen Monday night, Pittsburgh at Tampa. So, wow. I'm going to try to guess the line. Pittsburgh at Tampa. I would say Pittsburgh is going to be favored. They're going to be. I'm not. Don't tell me what the answer is, but I'm going to guess something like. I'm minus, not looking at the lines. I just pulled it. I'd say like minus just to so I wouldn't spoil somewhere my between own pick them and three. I don't. The Steelers won't be laying the full three, but it'll be like Steelers minus two and a half or something crazy like that. That's that's my guess on the line. Chiefs draw home game against the Niners, and you can move the ball against the Niners. Chiefs could put up another big number this week too. Uh, I'll, okay. I, I'll go with Garoppolo in that game. I just don't know who he's throwing to. It, 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 he's good when healthy because Dante Pettis caught one pass. Kittle didn't do much last week. Really, it was Brita had the big game on the ground, and nobody else did anything for the Niners. So I, it's interesting, but that's one that I think both teams' offenses are going to go off. Yeah, I think it's going to be another uh, carnival game as uh, – Stopa keeps on trying to hashtag his own term. Uh, I, I'm not. I think is Chiefs Carnival. I think he says. But um, anyways, I think it's going to be crazy. The other thing I'm looking for. So New England plays at Detroit on the Sunday night game, and you know there, all the attention is going to be on Josh Gordon because he signed uh, with uh, the Pats or not signed yet traded to the Pats today. Uh, but what I'm looking at for this game is I, th- I think it's going to be a, a, a Sony Michelle game. He was starting to get a lot more work. He got some work this first week. Detroit is getting exploited by some mediocre running backs. Crowell had a big game against him in the, the opener. You know, Brita last week, this week crushed them. I think you're going to see a lot of Sony Michelle. 
I think that is uh, a good possibility. That's my call. I just, I just want to point out how overdrafted Burkhead was. Now, maybe it'll still prove me wrong, but come on. He doesn't even catch a pass. He has like six carries, and Jeremy Hill's out for the year, and it's yeah. still that, that way. It's, I it's so crazy. They drafted it back in the first round. They, they have James White, who's clearly their best pass catcher. Mm-hmm. They signed Jeremy Hill, who's now obviously gone, and people are like, but Burkhead, I better take him in the fifth round. I mean, this is the I craziest. saw him in the fourth in one draft. But like what? I, I, I just couldn't even... It's not about being right or wrong. And again, it's only been two weeks, so maybe there'll right. be some miraculous no victory laps yet, even for yeah, you. Exactly. Burke had resurgence. Real man takes a victory lap after the first snap. But the, the thing is, like, I just couldn't even, I didn't really even understand, like, what the scenario they were envisioning was. Oh, they just wait. Okay, so in the event that they wasted the first round pick on Michelle for no reason, and they need a second pass catching back in addition to James White, and, well, at least they got one of the prongs you know, Jeremy Hill doesn't have a serious role. Then Burkhead could be like this force for them for, I don't know, 160 carries and 40 catches. I mean, even if everything broke your way, he'd barely be a fifth round value. If all that stuff were true, it just seemed like the most crazy thing. I I, I just did not understand it. No. And I, I, I think what really happened was the running back madness that struck everybody this year. Uh, we saw it's just like the pitchers in FPC. It's the running backs in all of our drafts that we're doing where there's that panic after you hit that, yep. finish that third tier running back, who's left? Oh, yeah, God, I better push up like Alfred Blue in the fifth round. Tell me why they weren't drafting <laughs> Alfred Blue in the fifth round. Because he is a running back. It's just that he had no role to speak of. But and actually, his role, his, his path to a role is actually much simpler. I mean, just Lamar Miller gets hurt, and he's now the starter, at least till Foreman gets back, and maybe Foreman doesn't even make it back. There's a so lot like, of Burkhead truthers, though. He perfectly fits Belichick's system, though. That was, that was the crazy. I think what happened was they told him something. He signed the deal with them. And they told themselves that he was the guy when Deion Lewis was let go. And then they just tuned out all the things that happened since, like the right. drafting of Michelle in the first round and the The existence you know, of James White. I mean right, the existence of James White, right? The whole time he was the there. historical James White. I believe in him. And the current right, James he, White. I mean Well both. the historical James White was like borderline MVP of the Super Bowl a couple of years. I mean, obviously James White was gonna have a massive role. Right. So I, I, I'm with you. Uh, maybe I listen to you too much, but I have zero Burkhead this year. I yeah. haven't come close to taking him. Dalton Del Don paid 20 for him in the uh, one of the auctions we were in. Huevos League, I think, right? Huevos, yeah. And then bitched out on Garoppolo, which actually now isn't looking that bad that he let me have him with that wasted his carcass there. I'm in a shootout with Evans in that league. We got the two highest scores in the league so far, and we each have a player left. It's going to be pretty dangerous. I've got... Uh, Jordan Howard, he's got the Chicago defense, and I, I'm, I got like a point lead on him in this league. Oh well, you got it. So you got it. Oh, I'm back. totally fine, just fine. No, no, Khalil Mack going to wreak havoc against that awesome Seattle offensive line tonight. That that's not going to happen at all. I'm it, totally it's fine. Fu- I'm in the exact same situation in the NFBC Classic. I'm down like 11. I'm not, you know, I mean, it's not exactly the same. But I'm down 11, and I have Howard full PPR, and the guy I'm going against has uh, Bears defense. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm sufficiently nervous because i think it's they're gonna go crazy tonight but we'll see um i just don't trust seattle i think seattle i mean seattle could be bad i mean they lost to denver which what you know was looked okay fine they lost by three but then the raiders should have beaten the broncos yesterday uh they, they found a way to blow that uh but the Broncos, they don't look that great. I think they're, they're going to struggle. They're going to hit the road now. They've had two straight home games where they pulled both of them out. And Keenum hasn't looked that great. 
And basically, transitive principle, I don't think that Seattle looks all that good. Um, we'll see. I could be wrong. It well, is here's, the da- here's the danger of that, right? Yep. I thought Seattle looked adequate enough for a road game for week one. They looked mm-hmm. adequate enough, especially without Baldwin really playing at all. And they got another week to practice, you know, with their their, their new crop of receivers sort of getting more in the playbook and in sync with Wilson. And really it's the quarterback that makes everything go. And they have one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. So the offense should be okay. And then Earl Thomas being back, that really changes things on defense. Although they're missing like Bobby Wagner and a couple other guys. It's actually, they're pretty thin, but you know, defense is a lot of its scheme and whatever else. So I think like, you know, they're not going to be obviously the dynastic Seahawks in the last half decade, but I think they're like probably a seven and nine team and that people are just jumping off that bandwagon so hard and like jumping onto the bears bandwagon with the bears. Like who are they? Like Trubisky looked like crap against the Packers. Yeah. Their D has some good young players. Khalil Max, obviously a star, but I mean, Harley was like a devastating defense last year and we'll see. It might take a few weeks for them to mesh with Mac. And to me, like the Packers shredded them when Rogers was in there. They didn't shred him right away. But after he came back from the injury, they just kind of marched up and down the field at will. So I, I like the Seahawks to uh, keep this one close, if not win it. Okay, I can I can see it. Uh, and I'll, I'll say one other thing: like it's that just the variance is so big in any single NFL game. So you yeah. look at like the Redskins Cardinals, and we were trying to figure out like was it the Cardinals were bad or the Redskins were good in that week one? I thought the Cardinals were going to cover, and the Redskins killed them. And then we just assumed like the Redskins were going to, you know, kill the Colts. Although I did take the Colts with the points. I didn't feel good about it. It's just like value wise. That's one of the values of, of doing your own lines first is that when you make a line, you're going to make a reasonable line. And then you see, Oh yeah, the line is actually even bigger than that. And you're like, yeah, but I like Washington. I mean, but you're like, ah, but I made the line, you know, and you may, it's like the lines are what they are for a reason because it's not reasonable to give the Redskins seven point, make them seven point favorites or something that would have pushed you to the Redskins. And I just think the variance is so big that we just don't really know. Like Seattle played the way they played, Denver played the way they played, but we, we have no idea if that was their 50th percentile, their 20th percentile, their 90th percentile. We just have no, almost no idea in a one-game sample. I mean, the best thing we have is from last year. We try to like use this year and then last year, but that I think we get way too influenced by the thing we see in week one and act like that's like, oh, that's about their 50th percentile. And then we like confirmation bias it with what we think already sure. heading into the season. And then we come up with these bizarre conclusions, you know, about teams that really we don't have that much of a basis for. So I don't know. I, you know, Chicago, maybe they're up and coming and Seattle's on the decline and this is the start of it. But that's just one narrative that it could go many different ways. Colts Redskins. Perfect example. I mean, I'm halfway through my rewatch here. First half. You know, they didn't target Reed once. The Redskins didn't. They were getting owned on the line of scrimmage. I mean, the Colts, who got just diced apart by Joe Mixon the previous week, were just all over everything. I mean, they just they dominated that Redskins offensive line. Hunt Smith had very little time to throw. Peterson had no, no room to run, although I, I think he might have been a little slow to the hole, but I'm not sure about that. But they, they weren't even targeting their best pass catcher which was a little odd. Uh, the Colts looked really good out there. Uh, meanwhile, you know, T.Y. Hilton looks amazing. Luck looks pretty good. He had one interception that was on a tip play. Uh, and the three running backs all look pretty good. Marlon Mack looks good out there. Uh, but then again, Hines looked good on his touchdown, and Wilkins had his moments too. It's going to be tough to handicap that Colts uh, running back situation, by the way. All three of them are capable. 
yeah, I picked up Hines and Stopa in desperation because I realized Fournette probably wasn't playing. And yep. he got me a touchdown. He got seven yards, but he got me a touchdown. But yeah, uh, that's, that's a tough one to handicap, but also just like it, when you really like kind of remove yourself from the stories and all the knowledge you have, and you just think billion dollar organization, professional athletes, busting ass livelihood on the line, coaches with livelihoods on the line, watching film of what they did wrong, trying to figure out how to get it right, seeing where they got exploited, plugging that hole team doing well, seeing what they did well, trying to study the tape from the previous week's problems that the other team had. And the, you know, it's just like, you're like, what do we really know? You, we know so much less than we think we know. So it's kind of like you try to look at like the broader outlines, like how many points is this team getting? It's getting six. Like that's a lot. You know, that's a big, that's a certainty. Whatever the points are, that's what you're getting if you're betting the spread. So that's like a, a, a knowledge-based thing. And, and with certain teams like the Patriots, you know their history, so you, you know something about them. But these like mid-level teams like the Colts and Redskins and Seahawks and Broncos like what the hell do we really know about these teams right uh and you know what teaches the uh, lesson over and over and over is DFS when you try to t- you know time the market with these things the things that you think you know and then you just try to employ it it, it teaches you pretty quickly okay you better embrace the variance uh right I, I mean I know some of the the serious pros like they'll just find some guys who are plausibly going to be good that you just in your gut you'd be like no way you know, I, I wouldn't start these guys. It's just not a great matchup. It's just the guy's been bad for two weeks, but we really don't know. So if you get somebody that nobody has and that happens to go off, even if you have no idea whether it's actually going to go off, you get it right a couple times a year, then you have a chance to win something big. And I really think it's, it's really hard for me to stomach that because I don't want to waste a whole bunch of money being wrong most of the time, which you are when you do that. Right. But I understand just playing the uncertainty, man. It's just really... It's, it, I mean, it's just, the NFL is just so crazy. It, it it seems to make sense when you when you follow narratives, but it doesn't make any sense. But those narratives don't, don't usually come true. And when you just think of it, it's just like the facts about it, like the bunch of million dollar billion dollar organizations paying million multi million dollar athletes to do everything they can to adjust to each game. Like the of course the variance is huge. Yeah, no better example than the Bucks. I mean. We we knew that they, we about their playmakers, but we're like, yeah, they're lost with Fitzpatrick at the helm. Ah, it was just against the Saints. It's the the Eagles will teach them differently this week. I really thought so. The Eagles look yeah. their defense looks so good against the Falcons. Exactly. Yeah, and it, it's funny, and you know, you factor in that there is some you know, varying levels of performance, even with elite teams. You go on the road after a big opening thing. There was a big thread on Twitter about Phil Mickelson trying to advocate betting against the Eagles in week two, because betting against Super Bowl champions going on the road in week two, especially when they're playing a non-conference game going on the road too. It's like all these ducks are not non-conference, non-divisional game going on the road. It's just like all these ducks lining up to suggest that maybe this is not the week that they'll be keyed in and they'll be at their best. Well, is there like a historical thing? I don't know how yeah, long the like team is like two and they were like two and eight against the spread in the last 10 to 10 games that this right. circumstance happened. So, but that's not a big enough sample to know how much, how noisy that is. Right. Because right, two right, and eight exactly. happened, right? You flip a coin 
10 times, you're probably going to get somewhere between four and six, but you could get two and eight. It's not like insane that you would yeah. get two and eight. And it was Jason so, Sobel's article. He's on the action network, but, uh, any other, I saw it on Twitter and then read through the article and it was talking about that. And he said there might be, he kind of tried to back test a little bit, said that there was more than there was something to that might not be noise. And then it turns out, and then you see this game and you're like, okay, that fits that pattern. I don't know. It's not causative, but it fits within the pattern. So, you know, there you go. Um, you know, let, speaking of DFS, uh, let's talk about the new daily fantasy site Fanball for a second. The number one issue I hear from people who try DFS is that it's impossible to win for the casual player. Too many sharks out there with 150 lineups, and you have basically have no shot if you want to play a lineup or two for fun. And that's where Fanball comes in. If the name rings a bell, yes, it's the same folks behind the season-long site from back in the day. Paul Charchian, who also happens to be the president of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, has brought back the Fanball name, but this time as a DFS site, and he's looking to level the playing field by enforcing low entry limits. In fact, I'm looking at the lobby right now. The most lineups anyone can have in a contest is 10. That is a huge difference maker. Plus, they also have snake drafts, which are super fun, and I'm told auctions are coming very soon as well. Head over to fanball.com slash rotowire, sign up, and make a deposit of at least 10 bucks. And we'll give you a six-month membership to Riddlewire. That's Fanball.com. Thank you, Fanball, for sponsoring us. Um, and that does, you know, limit your ability to trade in on that variance for whatever it's worth. But uh, I want to move on, Chris. We, we, I mentioned in passing, but, you know, there are two big wide receivers changing locations today. Enough about Brashad Perriman. Let's talk about Josh Gordon first. Really? Brashad Perriman still He's the now a redskin. He is signed uh, I the Redskins. I I didn't know that. That's so interesting. I used to draft him every year because he's so big and fast. All right, but let's talk about Gordon because uh, I doubt anyone has Brashad Perriman or he's going to play a single snap. Um, I think it's intriguing. You know, I heard some people say it's like Randy Moss back in the day. Obviously, Randy Moss had been good much more recently than Gordon had, although Randy Moss had a couple bad years in the wilderness in Oakland. Yep. So it had been like three years since he was it's really good. It's the easy comp to make. I mean, right. it, it is, but yeah. But he had like three good years, right? Instead of, I mean, he had like two good years, two years off from being good. And he had like, you know, seven good years before that. Gordon's had one good year and like four or five years off. Right. So is the better you know, comp, uh, comparison Ocho Cinco? No, because Ocho Cinco, I think, was older when he went. He was like 30 something. I agree, actually. The more I thought about it, as soon as I asked that, I was like, yeah, he was already kind of started to trend and, downward. And, and he was never the, I mean, he had some big years, but it was a volume. He was never the athletic freak superstar that just crushed, right. you know, he was always like a top five receiver, top seven receiver, but Moss was like the number one receiver in Minnesota. And Gordon was the number one receiver with horrible quarterbacks the year that he did it. So there is some overlap and uh, you know, it just depends. We don't know really what's going on behind the scenes. I used to defend Gordon all the time and didn't realize he was actually drunk and high during games, which he later admitted, which I have no problem with, but I do understand why the Browns had a problem with that. And they were actually being, I do understand. I I don't respect it. Of course, a real man, uh, it's mandatory to get high and and drunk before the game, but you know, it it made sense. I don't want to presume the Browns are idiots or whatever, but it sounded. And again, there's probably some facts I don't know like the Browns were annoyed that they had put up with Gordon's bullshit for so long that they had been so tolerant and they gave him another chance and all this stuff. And then how could he like, you know, he's just so entitled. How could he like 
whatever he did, hurt his hamstring doing something non-football related or whatever, and that they were pissed, like he owed them or something, which is a weird way to like pretend you're being supportive and then act like the team, you know, he owes you. And let's be real, if he weren't the superstar that he was five years ago, they wouldn't give a shit about him. If he was just like, okay, they wouldn't put up with him. They would have cut him a long time ago and moved on. The only reason they even gave him this chance is because they thought maybe he'll be really good. So, you know, they're not doing anyone any favor. So I, I think it's interesting. Obviously, the Patriots would never sign without doing their due diligence. You know, obviously, if he had relapsed or was going to get suspended, they wouldn't do it. So I think it's interesting, man. It is. It really is. And, I, you know, I, 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 do you think anybody cut him in a league that you were in after this thing that uh, happened? with Not the in any of my leagues, I don't think. Um, I'll take a look, but I really don't think so because immediately when he was going to get released, it said he was probably going to get traded. Right. And it happened so, like on a Saturday night too. So it's like right. everybody that had made moves for the most part, I mean, maybe you had like two or three injuries at wide receiver and you had to pick, cut somebody to pick up a spot. That'd be the scenario I'd say I can see, but I think you're right. I, I think, well, it, it would be like it. my case with Fournette. Like I picked up Hines on Saturday night because uh-huh. I had to drop Josh Doxson for him. I didn't want to drop Doxson because I liked him against the Colts and he didn't do much. Um, but I was like, I need a second running back. I was hoping Fournette was going to play. So I didn't want to you know, lose Doxson. But once I knew that he wasn't going to play, I needed the roster spot. And so I could see if Gordon, I had Gordon instead of Doxson or something. And I didn't want to cut anybody else. And I, and I had Fournette and Lev Bell and a bunch of other guys I couldn't cut. I could see that. But even so, you know, I might've cut like somebody else. And this is really best case scenario because you know, Gronk, first of all, Gronk, Edelman, and Hogan always get hurt. All three of those guys are really brittle. And then secondly, if any one of them gets hurt, even, even if it's Hogan or whatever, and Hogan could just be relegated to being just like a fourth receiver, there's plenty of room in this offense. There's just plenty true. of room. I mean, Gronk only gets 110 targets a year. Edelman gets a ton of targets, but he's 32 and coming off a lot of injuries. He could end up with, you know, prorated 105 targets instead of the 140 or 50 he got a couple of years ago. And Gordon can get a prorated 120 at, you know, 10 yards a pop with lots of red zone. So there's crazy upside here, even though it's still a long shot. I mean, there's still so many things. He has to know the playbook. He has to behave. The Patriots can be notoriously slow. At, you know, they didn't, they didn't get like Ocho Cinco involved. They didn't get a lot of these guys involved. Moss had all offseason. You know, he knew he was a Patriot. They got to practice together. So there's just so many levels that have to click. But it's, uh, it's exciting, man. I'm, I'm glad to see him on a team that's going to use him. Yeah, uh, and you're especially glad he's not joining the Cowboys in your division. Well, I don't give a shit about that. The Giants, I mean, I, they, they almost might be better off. Look, I, I mean, I think they need to move on to Kyle Laletta and see who he is. And then you're already writing the they, season. Well, yeah, no, no, <laughs> that's I mean, awesome. <laughs> I, was, I was optimistic, too. But the, the, like after that game against Dallas, it was just so piss poor. That I I really think they need to audition. They they cut Davis Webb. That's fine. But like just audition whoever you got, whoever it is. If Lalletta, if that's a serious thing or not, and give him you know eight games. And if he's terrible, that's fine. Go get your you know top five draft pick, and go get a quarterback this year. You got Barkley. You know maybe Darnold is crap. Maybe Allen and Rosen are crap. And you dodged a bullet by getting Barkley. And then you get the legit guy this year. And I, that's fine. I'm fine with that. But just. This Eli charade just got to end. Put you out of your misery. All right. Fair enough. Speaking of putting out of misery, Vontae Davis quits at halftime of the Bills uh, Chargers game. Uh, basically, he said, you know, I shouldn't have been out there. He, got, he was a healthy scratch in week one. 
I remember him getting burned by John Ross in the preseason. I was like, oh, didn't that used to be Vontae Davis? Basically, that's what he came to the same conclusion. He was, I'm not willing to put up with the sacrifices. But it's rare you see a guy just up and quit at halftime. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. If you played sports, like, you know, you see it in tennis all the time. You know, guys are just like, they retire mid-match, something happens. You, know, you see guys get hurt mid-game. I don't know. If you're coming back from an injury and you push it and you can kind of do it and you're getting smoked, then maybe it just means that it's time to retire. It doesn't have it anymore. And that's but, what his conclusion was. It's time to retire. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize he retired at halftime. He retired at halftime. Oh, I didn't really realize that he retired He's like, at halftime. F it. I'm done. I thought you were just saying that he just like took himself out of the game, was like, I can't go no, anymore. No, no. He le- like got in street clothes and left. That's hilarious. So he was like, I'm not even going to bother to finish off this charade of a game. I'm just, I'm out. I'm finished. That's right. That's what, that's how a real man does it. He leaves mid play. He doesn't even wait for the play to end. He just starts. He lets them play ten on eleven mid play. He realizes, crazy, just crazy. But hey, you know what? That's you know, it's like you go, you go pretty quick sometimes. I guess. Yeah, I mean the crazy thing is Eli should have done that like mid game two thousand fourteen, and he's still there. But the streak, but the streak, Chris. <laughs> Thank God for McAdoo breaking that thing up because now that's not even a reason anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's see what else uh, jumped out of my mind here a little bit. Uh, you, we mentioned this a little bit on the show. Uh, Fitzpatrick versus Winston in Week Four could be a very interesting uh, decision to make. Now, if if the Bucks somehow crap the bet on Monday night against the Steelers, wait, it's not even exactly like a stretch to see that, but because these things happen. But you know, then they go at the Bears, at the Falcons. After that, it could what be, a schedule, what yeah. a first five game schedule. Holy I know. shit. I know. Then they get Browns and Bengals after that. So there you go. There, there's your easier stretch. Although who knows? I, it might not be as easy as you think it is either. Yeah, maybe the Steelers are easier than we think it is, or the Saints. But um, I, I think it goes like this: if it's if they beat the Steelers, there's no way Winston gets the job back week four. There's just no way. I mean, they're just not going to switch QBs three and zero, beating three of the early seasons, the preseason Super Bowl favorites. Not not going to happen. Yeah. You know, more likely, and I'm, I'm assuming Steelers are going to be a slight favorite in Tampa, like two and a half, three. Um, they're going to lose to the Steelers, and then it depends. Like, how did Fitzpatrick play? If he got totally exposed and has a four interception game, um, then I'd say there's like at least a sixty or seventy percent chance they bring Winston back, and they act like, yeah, of course, this is what we planned. He played great for us. He really got us to two and one on a tough schedule. You know, we're lucky to have him. You know, there's that kind of thing. If they lose, but he gets like 250 yards and two touchdowns and one pick and looks still pretty sharp, then they may, you know, then I think there's like a 70% chance they roll with him. You know, they're like, all right, he's still playing well and we still have Winston as our quarterback of the future, but let's play this out, right? Right. And obviously, if they win and he <laughs> throws for 400 yards or something insane, which isn't going to happen, but it could happen, it happened this week. Then, uh, then there's just no doubt he may win the he may have the job for several more weeks. So it's you know it's really going to depend on how he plays. I mean, you got to credit the larger sample of who he is at age 35 over the you know the two massive games. So it it, it almost be like you know Foles. I, I mentioned this on the radio. Foles lit up the Vikings, the best defense in the league. He absolutely shredded them. Was so good in that game, and then went to the Super Bowl and outdueled Tom Brady. People got mad when I said that on the show. They're like, you didn't Brady had 500 yards. Yeah. Brady's the one who fumbled on the final drive and Foles is the one that executed every single time. Right. Beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. We had two weeks to prepare for him. 
And you're like, whoa, maybe he's better than Wentz. I mean, no one really thought that, but you're like, why would you, it couldn't get better than the way he played. But then of course you see the last two weeks and Foles was okay. You know, not good against the Falcons. Okay. Not even really that good against the Bucks. And you're like, yeah, this is Foles. Like he's capable, but Wentz is their quarterback. Wentz is their future. Now Winston doesn't have the, you know, he doesn't, he, he doesn't have the uh, credibility of, of Wentz. He hasn't had that much winning. So, you know, it's, it's easier to overturn him, but Fitzpatrick also has even less than Foles at his age and experience level. That's right. Uh, talk one more Fitzpatrick related angle, then we'll move on. But I, I thought this was, I, you know, this is kind of interesting. I know I, I've seen uh, Kevin Payne trying to pedal off uh, Fitzpatrick to you. We always talk about it. that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is you hold on to that guy and try to see if you can trade your established guy. So here, here's a perfect example of that. Would you, you know, say you your other quarterback is uh, let's spitball. Say Kirk Cousins. Well, Cousins had a pretty awesome game Cousins. This week good. Um, yeah, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan. Garoppolo. Week, say but... you had Garoppolo and you okay. have Fitzpatrick. Right. Do you try to trade Garoppolo now? And you take a QB flex or good. a QB? No, no, one QB, QB league. One QB oh. league. Yeah, of course. I mean, I don't even That's care. That's the only I'll way you're going to be able to pull off a trade. That's the only way you're yeah. going to be able to profit off of this, but right? You're not even be, who's going to trade you for Garoppolo in a one QB league? Um, probably, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's the whole point. Okay. I was just trying to spit. <laughs> you better have like, like 24 teams in that league. Russell Wilson. Okay. How about Russell Wilson? I don't think you could trade him either. I mean, I, I you know, he has no receivers. I, I just think, so the only league where you can trade a QB for something is a QB flex league. And so Payne has, you know, Fitzpatrick is three QBs. I don't know whose other ones are real man. If you're Payne, offers another QB. Cause I actually, if Fitzpatrick's starting and I've got Winston, he offers me the other QB for Winston, right? I mean, the thing is, I, I, I still think Winston's probably going to start within two or three weeks, mm-hmm. so I'm holding off. But it's it's not looking great for me with Bradford as my fill-in. It was the worst possible fill-in I could have could have taken. Um, but I, you know, I don't. I think Fitzpatrick's got. It's possible he has five, six more weeks in him. It's possible he keeps the job all season, but most likely, he's going to give way in the next few weeks and it's just you know Winston had played well he was obviously a very bad guy in his personal life for a bunch of years but most of that is you know that that suspension is from 2016 he was good in the second half last year he was good in the preseason he's the guy that drafted 1-1 he's the guy with way more talent than Fitzpatrick and I mean it's it really should be his job within a couple of weeks, unless Fitzpatrick just somehow can keep playing out of his mind. And I just don't think that's that likely. Probably right about that. Last week, the top free agent target in most leagues was Philip Lindsay. And Lindsay had a really good game against the, uh, against the Raiders. In fact, he got more work than Royce Freeman, 14 for 107. Uh, he had a 53 yarder mixed in there. And it's two weeks in a row. He's had a big play. Only one catch this week, only one target, which is kind of weird uh, that you thought they'd throw to their backs a little bit more. They, they threw to Freeman just one time also, but you know, would you rather have for the rest of the year, Philip Lindsay or this week's flavor of the week, Gio Bernard? Uh, probably Lindsay. Cause Mixon is almost certainly coming back in like three weeks or two weeks. I mean, right. it's not Bernard is a short term thing. Plus Bernard has been very, banged up in his career. But the problem with Lindsay is he didn't get the goal line carry that went to Royce Freeman. As you mentioned, he didn't get a lot of targets and he only got two the week before. So sort of a timeshare 
non-goal line back who's not a major pass catcher. Maybe he'll be used more as that. And just a middle-of-the-road offense, by the way, too. Yeah, yeah, with like a below-average below quarterback, in my opinion, and kind of a not the best-managed team either. I Again, like, he looks like a good player, but I wouldn't be all that excited. I saw, you know, he was basically going for about 45% of people's fab pool last week, Lindsay was. How much does Gio go for this week, say, in the NFFC? I think he'll go for, like, I mean, there's always that desperate guy who just needs to survive by winning this week and needs a running back. So, um, 350, 380, maybe someone will go like 480 or something crazy, but 350, I'll say. Yeah. So, and the comparison is a little different too, because yes, it's short term, but he's also clearly the guy the next two weeks. Right. Whereas yeah, Lindsay, a, you know, was sharing with, right. And so that makes it a little bit different too. So it's, it's interesting. And what if Mixon has a setback? You know, what if like he tries to, right. Although I just saw something from Marvin Lewis today saying, Oh, this is something he's been dealing with for a long time. It's like having a pebble in your shoe and you have to get it removed. Um, and that's what they were saying with this knee, I guess. Yeah, Right. So they just shave off, right. It's like this piece of cartilage is irritating because it's loose. And it's like, every time he's running, he feels it just pain. Right. They finally take care of it. They just, they let open his knee. They shave this thing off. They, they sew the knee up and then like a week and a half, it's like the knee heals and you can play. It's like, it's not that it's very minor. Right. And you know, you can see by his usage in the Thursday game too. take him out, have him go get it looked at, come back in, take him out for a play, bring him back in. You know, he could deal with it, but it's going to be a pain all season. So let's just deal with it. We got 10 days before this game, get a little extra time. I could see why they chose. Yeah, he may only out. miss one game actually. Right. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, and the fact is, Gio's going to be available because he was he had two touches in the first game against the Colts. So that that's going to make things interesting. Mac might be available in some leagues. We've got to watch Buffalo to see. I think uh, Shady McCoy's got rib cartilage issues, so that could be an absence. You know, do you want to go after Murphy or Ivory in that league? Blech. No, no, and probably. I mean, uh, again, like if you just don't have a starting running back, like you, you may have to. So you know, you you just get a guy who's going to get some touches. But if you have, if you, if you already have like two running backs and a bench back, there's just, there's so little upside that there's no stash value. That's right. Uh, so I think that kind of covers everything. Uh, and anything else you want to talk about from yeah. week two? I just want to, I mentioned this on the radio, but I think this is very telling because it's such an interesting stat. Jared Goff threw for 354 yards in a shutout. That's got to be near the record for passing yards in a game where the other team didn't score any points. That bodes very well for him because even though the Rams defense is good, most teams against them will score more than zero. Uh, and so he's just, it doesn't, he's basically game flow immune. You know, we, we talk about pass catching running backs. We'll be like, Oh yeah. Like Lev bell. Like he's really good. Cause if the Steelers get behind, they don't just scrap the run. It's not like having Marshawn Lynch or peak Adrian Peterson, where his usage goes down. If the game gets out of hand, well with quarterbacks, it's almost every quarterback. As soon as they get a big lead, they, you know, they, they get out of the game flow. They just hand it off, but not with this guy. And that is just a huge advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love, you know, having my players on teams like that, coaches like that, that just pedal to the metal. I mean, it's more fun for everyone. I think KC's like that too. And I think yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see with K, we'll see with KC because their defense is keeping these other teams in the game. But I'd be very curious. Um, I'd be very curious against the spread, what the how the Rams do, because, you know, one of the reasons the Patriots are 58% or whatever it is against the spread since 2001 is that they don't conform to the normal 
parameters that all these models are built on, which is that, you know, as soon as the game salted away, you kind of trade time for margin, right? If you're up 27 in the third quarter, you just trade, you don't care if the other team scores 10 points, you know, well, 10, 13 points in garbage. And it's, you know, you end up being up 14 and lines 14 and a half. You don't cover you're trading the margin of your victory for the certainty of it for time off the clock. Right. And so that's the model on which, you know, all the against the spread stuff is built because that's how most teams operate when they get ahead. Now they shift from accumulating points to running clock. That's just the way the model is. And you have a team like the Patriots that actually keeps accumulating points. The way they salt the game away is by scoring more and they don't start running the clock till it's like super late in the game. And if the Rams are, you know, that kind of team, they're going to end up covering quite a bit because the model is built for teams that will always trade that margin just to get the game over with. And they don't seem to be trading it yet. No, they don't. Rams and Chargers next week. Um, it's a home game for both teams. Yes. It's at uh, the Coliseum, though. It's, uh, it's at the, so there actually will be fans uh, as opposed to the converted soccer stadium. So we got that going for us. But uh, it, it's Chargers at the Rams, just for the record. Our standalone games this week three aren't that great. Jets, Browns. Pats and Lions, which, I mean, it has potential to be all right as it's in Detroit. Pittsburgh at Tampa could be a lot better than the other two games. And if you looked at it at the start of the season, you're like, oh, Tampa, whatever. But now that could be a really fun game. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's going to a lot of fantasy. Well, I'm not no one really cares about Winston except me because I've got him in this QB flex league. But it will it'll determine a lot about when Winston's coming back. This is kind of the big one because I think once they open the can of worms that he's not playing, even though he's back, then it's just much easier to keep it going. Right. Once you like break that open, it's a lot easier. If if Fitzpatrick shits the bed, then okay, well we never had to get there, which just makes it easier. You and I both have a lot of OJ Howard this year. I think we're really rooting for Fitzpatrick to keep the job just for his sake over stupid Cameron Brait. For sure, because that, that's uh, Winston's pet guy. But, I mean, come on. I mean, O.J. Howard is just oh, so dynamic. dynamic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Get him the ball. Um, don't and, take a guy in the first round, and then I don't know why they paid Cameron Braid. So many things in the NFL are, like, inexplicable. Yeah, and the Steelers, you know they're going to be focused on trying to shut down Jackson and Evans, and Howard could eat because Kelsey just tore him up too. I think this could be a really good game for Howard. So hopefully that that, that holds true uh, because I'll definitely be there to profit if that's the case. All right, Liz, good stuff. Um, for people that are listening and yet don't subscribe to RotoWire, here's your chance to just check it out for free. Go to rotowire.com slash pod, get the free 10 day trial. Check out Lissa's East coast offense will be going up after the Monday night game sometime shortly. Uh, you can check out my value meter. It comes up Tuesday night. So you get the position, you know, instead of asking us lineup questions, just go to my value meter. We'll be there. Kevin Payne's free agent article. Uh, is beat the book staff picks survivor article, Jeff Stotts. Uh, we got all sorts of good stuff for you there. So check it all out. Rotowire.com slash pod. Please rate review compliment compliment us uh, on uh, you know stitcher and itunes we do appreciate you subscribe please hopefully you you've enjoyed this experience and even if you haven't you made it to the end anyhow so congrats on listen that. listen i don't know what stitcher is but it's very important that you do something on stitcher to help us yes okay? exactly help us help us your only hope stitcher is super important to me i don't know what the hell it is but i know you must do it we don't know why i don't know why they care if you rate us on itunes i mean nobody's ever come to the podcast because of the rating they come because they've clicked on a link on twitter 
Yeah. That's but our podcast anyway. overlords want us to do that. So, you know, we're all about compliance. Uh, thanks to Fanball for sponsoring us. And uh, hopefully they continue to sponsor us after this joke of a podcast. But we do appreciate you listening anyhow. All right, guys. Till next week. This is Talking Yang, Jeff and Chris. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.